Uh, to start this morning, I want to ask uh, an important question. How many of you think you're weird? How, how many of you think the person sitting next to you is weird? Careful husbands and wives. How many of you came into church, sat down, looked at the person next to you, thought they were weird, and are now sitting somewhere else? I ask that because I've actually done that in church before. Um, can you think back to a time in your life and identify a time where you felt like specifically, you can think of a specific moment uh, where you felt like, like you were odd, like, like you were different, like you were weird? Maybe it was in grade school where Everybody else was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and your mom took leftover spaghetti and dumped it in a Ziploc bag <laughs> and mistakenly gave you a plastic spoon instead of a plastic fork. Maybe it was when you were uh, the only freshman in your college class that still had braces. And because you weighed about 135 pounds, you looked like an escapee from the local junior high. And, uh, and all the girls thought you were Doogie Hauser without the intellect. That, that was me. Or maybe it's because in your life, um, the values, the ideas, the principles that, that you allowed to shape your decisions just made you feel like an outcast, like you didn't fit in anywhere. I can tell you over the years, um, I've, I've described uh, to people my, my inner feelings as I've navigated life, uh, especially when I was younger, a feeling like I was a diseased fish. Any you guys ever have a diseased fish in your tank? When I was a kid growing up, we used to have diseased fish that, that had, and I, I, this was, that was, it was called ick. You guys know ick? Like, it seemed like the most appropriate thing to call a disease ever. Ick. And what they do with a fish that has ick is they put them in a plastic bag and they have to separate them from all the other fish because if they got too close to the other fish, they might get diseased. I've had so many periods of my life where that's how I felt. Like I just didn't fit in, I didn't belong, and if I got too close to other people, um, whatever I've got might be catching. It's funny how, how often we hear quotes by people who extol the virtues of being different. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche famously said, the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. David Henry Thoreau wrote, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. Even Elijah Wood, an actor of Lord of the Ring fame, said, I think being different, going against the grain of society, is the greatest thing in the world. 
We hear this. We, we have people extol the virtues of being different. And yet, in reality, the inertia of human need for acceptance drives us towards conformity and away from difference. Most of us don't like to find ourselves in a place where we are different, where people point at us as different. And so really, our, our push, our drive, our human desire is to be just like everyone else. Today we begin a series entitled, What's the Difference? And it's a study in, in the book of 2 Peter. And as we do this, it, it seems entirely appropriate to set up the discussion with a passage um, from Peter's first book. Um, now as we talk about this, as we go into this, I want to remind you about Peter and what's going on as he's writing these books. How many of you remember who Peter is, right? Peter is one of, David's, or one of, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, and he was one of the disciples that was very close to Jesus, that loved Jesus, that was with Jesus, that, 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 that just deeply cared for him. And, and they interacted on a regular basis, and he, he walked with Jesus, and he knew Jesus, and, and he was around Jesus. How many think that would change you? Right? And we remember that, that Peter was the one who, when he, was, when he was confronted after Jesus' arrest, when he was confronted by a little girl around a fire, that pointed out that he was with Jesus. He was different. He wasn't like everybody else. He denied Jesus. But something happened in, in Peter's life, and, and Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, received the power of the Holy Spirit, got, stood up in amongst a crowd, amongst of thousands, amongst so many that, that, that had, had just previously crucified Jesus, had had, had, had um, um, attacked Jesus and the disciples. And he stood up and he preached a message and he was fine with standing out. Peter understood that what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ was to be different. And so now Peter writes this book and he's writing this book to the church at large. Both in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And he's writing this, this book to the church that right now is in the middle of turmoil. That is right now in the middle of, of struggle. It's in the midst of the Nerodian persecutions. Where Nero and, and the government is going after Christians, attacking Christians, killing Christians, torturing Christians, throwing them to the, to the, um, to the, to the wild animals, uh, tying them onto, uh, onto sticks after they've been dipped in tar and, and, and set on fire. These Christians are being persecuted and tortured for being Christians. For standing out, for being different. And in these circumstances, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you... Our chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
How many of you guys have heard that passage before? Every time I read that passage, my preference is to read it uh, in the King James Version. Uh, because um, in Peter's letter to the church, as it's translated in the King James Version, he says, you are a peculiar people. Um, I, I love reading that, because peculiar people seems to capture uh, my experiences with people in the church. How many of you guys have ever come across peculiar people in the church? I mean, I think all the way back to uh, Disco Bev in the front row of our choir when I was a kid, who always, no matter what the song was, with her bright red hair, would always break into some kind of dance up there. And so she was called Disco Bev. I love it because it points out the fact that we are a peculiar people. It lays out the idea that that we are, are um, designed to be weird, to be odd, to be different. As we enter into our reflection on Second Peter, it, it, is, it is really important to hang on to the truth that, that Peter is writing to Christians that are facing extremely difficult situations, that are facing extreme rejection, I, I, extreme persecution. Because they are Christian. Because they're different. And as Peter writes this, as he says this, as he says, you are a peculiar people. Peter wants them to know what you're facing is because there should be a difference. That we are meant to be weird and odd, and peculiar, and different. There should be a difference. And what's crazy about this is Peter doesn't talk to them and call them to assimilate. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't encourage them. He doesn't say, he doesn't say listen guys, um, because of what you're doing, because of who you are, you're kind of standing out, and what we want to do is let's try and build more bridges to these people who don't really quite understand us. Let's try and get to a point where we can, where we can kind of minimize the, the persecution that comes, that, that we don't want to... What, what Peter does is, 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 he, is he calls them uh, not to assimilate, not to just get along, but he emphasizes the difference. In fact, what he does is he leans into the difference. His instruction to them is, don't sit there and, say, and, and lament the fact that you're different. Don't sit there and lament the fact that you don't fit in. He says, he, he, he emphasizes that fact. You are a peculiar people. You're different. You're in a different place. You're, you, you, have, you have different priorities. You're going to stand out. And he doesn't consider that a problem. He, he actually challenges them to look at themselves and to ask themselves the difference, the question, what's the difference? 
What, what's the difference between me and the world? What's the difference between me and others? What makes me what I am as a follower of Jesus Christ? You are a chosen people. You, you, you are a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a chosen generation. You're not like everybody else. So this is the setup to, to, see, to Peter's second book, to Second Peter, that we get into today. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. At the very outset of Peter's book, at the very outset of Peter's writing to the church here, he is setting up the difference. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. First of all, this statement as he opens the book, is tied directly to the uniqueness of the Christian experience. What is at its core? What fundamentally makes Christians uniquely different? What is it that makes us as Christians different? And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you this. There's a big hint in the name. Christians. The big difference is Christ, right? The, the, the big difference between us who are Christians and those who are not Christians is that we fundamentally are dependent. We are, we are at our cores reliant on Jesus Christ. We are have a faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. Do you understand how different that makes you? Because here's the thing, guys. This idea, when we talk about being Christians, when we, when we talk about, you know, I'm a Christian, I, um, you know, if I look back on it, you know, I'm a Christian, this is my Christian experience... Here's the thing. We're not talking about Christianity is not this generic idea that it just so happens I've signed on to this thing. When I was a kid, I was, I was baptized as a Christian. See, the vast majority of Americans kind of see Christianity as almost a club that you're a part of. It, it's, it's, it's this vague idea of what it means. Like, what's your religion? What's your, what, what's your leaning? Well, if I was going to say anything, I'm a Christian. 
That's not being a Christian. Anyone understand that? That's not being a Christian. When we talk about being a Christian, what we say is we believe in Jesus Christ. And we don't just believe in Jesus Christ and say, well, there was a guy named Jesus Christ. We, we don't just say, there was a guy named Jesus Christ who taught some good things, and, 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 and we think he's a good guy, and we got these different ideas from him, and, and sometimes we incorporate it, and sometimes we don't. We think there's some really good things about Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. We look at who Jesus Christ was. We look at what Jesus Christ taught. We look at what Jesus Christ did. And what we do is we embrace that reality and we say, now I live in accordance with Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ didn't just live 2,000 years ago and teach good things. I believe Jesus Christ rose again. He's alive today. He knows my name. He cares about what takes place in my life. I put my faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ is still my provider. I don't sit there and say, I need this from the government. I need this from these people. I need this from this situation. And if I don't get it, then my, my hope and my life is destroyed. I go, Jesus Christ is still my provider. And no matter what takes place around me, I put my faith in Jesus. Do you understand how that makes me different than people who don't put their faith in Jesus? See, I believe, I believe because I believe in Jesus Christ that my identity is not in whether or not you like me or you don't like me. Whether or not you accept me or you don't accept me. My identity is in the fact that Jesus Christ today, not 2,000 years ago, but today, every day accepts me and loves me and knows me. Do you understand how that makes me different? How the way in which I engage life and I engage people and I face circumstances, it makes me different. So see, when we come to this conversation and we say there is a difference, it's because we have faith in Jesus Christ. What does is, what is Peter write here? He says, by the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. We live in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that makes us different. It is about a dependency on the work, on the teaching, on the nature of Jesus Christ. We believe in him for our provision, for our deliverance, for our healing, for our identity, for our salvation. Individually and collectively, we believe he is the hope. The hope is not in another idea. The hope is not in another plan. The hope is not in another program. The hope is not in another politician. The hope is not in anything but Jesus Christ. And when I read what Peter wrote, writes here, it means that that unique belief produces a unique outcome. 
How does Peter write his, start his book here? How, do, how, does he, how does he begin this book? He begins it with identifying the fact that because you have a belief in Jesus Christ, because you have been made righteous through Jesus Christ, he says, grace and peace are multiplied to you. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through your knowledge through your dependency, through your belief in Jesus Christ. His, his, his declaration here, his opening salvo, is that there is a unique grace and peace that comes to those who have a faith in Jesus Christ. I look around this world And I believe grace and peace are in short supply. Think for a moment. Reflect on your everyday life. Reflect on your interactions with people around you. In most situations, in most circumstances, whether it's in the conversations you have, or it's in the things that you read, or it's what you see on the internet, If you were to sit down and say how I would describe the world, people, it would be grace and peace. Because I'm going to tell you as I look around, as I interact with people, what I find is a lack of grace and I I find a lack of peace. I look around the world and I think grace and peace are in short supply. And imagine, imagine the level of grace and peace that may have been in the hearts and the minds and the lives of Christians in the circumstances that Peter is writing. If you're living in that time, if you're living in that era, as Peter's writing this letter to you, and you know that at any moment somebody may come and kick in your door and drag you and your wife and your children out, where you'll be, maybe be thrown into prison, or, or maybe, maybe beaten, bloody, or, or maybe taken and set afire for the entertainment of the emperor. How easy do you think it would be to find grace and peace in that circumstance? Even as I look at our world today, On the global level, sure. Like, we can look around and we can see on the global level and we can see everything that's taking place. Everything that's happening. But even as I look at things on an individual level, as I look at families, the turmoil, the pain, the hurt. Have you ever lived through a period of time where you saw more people, more fearful, more despondent, more alone. Suicide rates right now in this country are up 50%. 50%. When I look around the world right now, on a, on a, on a global level, on a, on a national level, 
but really on an individual level. I don't see much grace and I don't see much peace. But Peter's message to the church then and the church today is, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What flows from our different foundation, from our different belief, is a different result. Grace. The definition of Peter's word used in this passage is that grace is God's free and unmerited favor bestowed on a guilty man in and through Jesus Christ. It is free and unmerited favor not because you're good, not because you're great, not because you've accomplished anything to get to the point where God might look upon you and say, you're good enough. See this as the exact opposite of almost every relationship you've ever had. If you've earned their love, if you've, if you've earned their respect, if you've done all the right things to make people go, I want you in my life, that's how you get into relationships. But there is this unique interaction that we have with God, with our Heavenly Father, who is holy, who is righteous, where His grace flows to us through our belief in Jesus Christ. That foundationally we have in us the extension of grace poured out upon us. We've got to continually remember that God in his mercy does not give us what we deserve. But God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. What we could never otherwise obtain. His supply of amazing grace is endless. For he is, as Peter wrote, in 1 Peter 5, the God of all grace. And as Peter points us here, he dispenses that grace through Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of Jesus Christ, in belief in Jesus Christ, in faith in Jesus Christ. May grace be multiplied to you. I want you to think about the description of the work of Christ as it's described in John chapter 1. For from his fullness, we have all received, I love this phrase, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Do you see the foundational difference of the life of the believer? Grace upon grace is given to us through Jesus Christ. We live in a world, we, we live in a system in which we are constantly being judged, we are constantly being rejected, we are constantly pushed aside because somebody doesn't like this or somebody doesn't like that or somebody doesn't think you did this right or that right. And the God of the universe who is holy 
and pure, who has every right to reject everything about you, has made a way that we might experience grace upon grace. An acceptance, a, a, a love, a, 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 a bringing in that we can't get anywhere else. It is uniquely different. And from that reality, we live in a place where we know we're loved, where we know we're accepted, where we know we're taken in. And we are children of the Most High King. Our identity is in Him. Because through Jesus Christ, we have received grace upon grace because of our faith, because of our belief, because of our dependency. So many of us have experienced this idea of what it is to be a Christian, and it's this, it's this arm's length, it's what I check a box about. And so we don't understand what it is to live in the knowledge that the God of the universe, through Jesus Christ, knows me completely and still accepts me unconditionally. Dr. Shenton writes, grace is a favorable disposition towards the unworthy and wretched and the free bestowal of kindness on one who has no claim to it. God's grace is unmerited Goodness freely given to those who have forfeited it and who are by nature under the sentence of death. This makes us different. We live in this increasingly ungracious world. Forgiveness and kindness and mercy and humility are not our normal experiences. But we have the peculiar gift of multiplied grace extended to us through Jesus Christ. To live in the truth of His grace, you must tie yourself in belief to Jesus Christ Himself. For those of us who are here this morning who have never really understood what it was like to give your life completely, to put your faith completely, to put your dependency completely on the truth of Jesus Christ, and therefore have not experienced the grace of God in your life, you can have it. So many of us sit and we, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and deep down in our soul, deep down in our spirits, deep down where nobody else hears it and we never express it. We know how ugly we are. We know how dirty we are. We know how, how right it seems that people would reject us. And so we live constantly in this place uh, of trying to justify our goodness, justify why I should be loved, justify why I should be accepted. But there's an uneasiness in our spirit and our souls. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden. He, he says, there is not a sinner so dark, there is not a sinner so black, that the grace of God cannot cover you and give you hope and give you life. 
But you've got to understand something. It, it's not this simple, generic Christian idea. It is coming before him and saying, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I, I, I know my sin. I know, I know how, I, how easy it would be to reject me. And so I have nothing to offer you. But you said that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, if I make him Lord and I make him Savior and I put my dependency on him, you've told me that grace can be multiplied to me. So I give you my life. I lay down everything else and I put my hope and my faith in you. If you're here this morning, you've never taken that step, I want you to know the holy and precious God of the universe has made a way through the death of Jesus Christ for you to receive grace and for you to receive mercy and for you to be made right before him. What a difference. And the truth is, guys, for those of us who have given our hearts to Christ that have lived in, in faith in Jesus Christ, it's so important for us to realize that the prayer that Peter is praying here, the declaration that Peter, Peter is making here, is for the church. He's saying maybe grace multiplied to you. Every single day, every single day, every single day, the grace that we received when we accepted Jesus Christ is being poured out to us. That our Heavenly Father, every single day, looks at us and says, I accept you, I receive you. You're mine. To live in, in, in the truth of His grace every single day. I love how Shenton continues his commentary when he says, the grace of God is eternal. Just as God's essence is eternal and immutable, so His unmerited love to man is from everlasting to everlasting and without the slightest hint of change. He has always been and will always be the God of all grace. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time and will last through endless ages. It was planned before he, it was exercised, purposed before it was imparted, eternal before it was manifested. Grace doesn't have an end. It didn't end the day you prayed. It continues every single day in our lives and we can go forth in this world living in the truth of God's grace to us, anchoring us in the fact that we are tied to God and that the circumstances of people's acceptance or not acceptance means nothing compared to the grace that is being multiplied to everyone who has Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we come to peace. When I hear the idea that there is peace that may be multiplied to me, what a great hope. What, what a great expectation if I asked you this morning who could use more peace in your life what percentage of hands would go up I'm going to say 200% because I'm going to say everybody puts up two hands to that one 
How many of us in our lives, based on the circumstances we find ourselves in, based on the times we, we, open, up, we open up the web pages on Facebook and, and read what's going on, or interact with our coworkers, or interact with our family, how many of us could just say, man, I could use some peace right now? It's like, it, it, it feels like it, it is one corporate, corporate experience of us joining in by saying, serenity now. Right? And so I open up the book that Peter writes, and the very opening message to the church is, may peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Greek word that's used here, irene, originally was used to describe an ordered life which was possible when people were not at war. If you left it there, I think it would make perfect sense. But later the concept was expanded to include an inner personal peace. And this is the meaning referred to over 60 times in the New Testament and what's referred to here. We, as believers, we as different believers in Christ, have access to a different peace. We, we have access to a different peace, don't we? That, that no matter what's talked about, no matter, no matter who talks about peace in this world, we have access to a unique and different peace, don't we? And the reason I say it that definitively, the reason I say it with that much confidence, we have a different peace, is because Jesus himself said it. In John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples and to the church, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus Christ has made it very, very clear that the peace he gives is not like any peace you can find in this world. There is a peace that the world gives, but the peace that all men desperately need is found only in the strong tower of Jesus Christ. It's in him where believers experience safety and peace set securely on high in Christ. Because in him, our lives are made whole. Our, our relationships are harmonized. And through that, we can experience the spiritual and psychological wholeness that God has intended since the very creation of man to live in. This is why we have been recreated. God's supernatural peace can now provide freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Jesus did not end all human wars, but he makes it possible to end the war between God and man. His death is our peace. It means our reconciliation with God. We can now call him Abba Father. He brings peace. But understand something. The peace that Jesus Christ brings does not mean 
the absence of pain or the absence of conflict or the absence of testing. Think again about the, about the congregation to which Peter was writing. He says, peace multiplied to you. Not, not because the persecution ends. Not, not, not because the suffering ends. Peter says, he says, though even now we, we, we endure for a short time. Not because of that. But we have peace in Jesus Christ. We have a divine peace. The peace that the Spirit gives. Does that, does that mean that in our pain, in our conflicts, in our testing times, that we have to be in turmoil? No, it means that we have an inner peace given by Jesus Christ. This is the rest Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who are at labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the promise of a mind-blowing peace. It always leads me to one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. That we can receive a peace that passes all understanding that renews our hearts and our minds. That it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we have this peace. But it's what makes us different. I'll never forget the time I spent in the waiting room at the hospital where my dad was, was having his cancer surgery. I'll never forget as I watched and I looked at all the different people who were waiting for their loved ones whose lives were hanging in the balance. As I watched everyone in turmoil, in tears, struggling. And I watched my mom in this unbelievable peace going from one person to the next, ministering the gospel to them, praying with them, sharing Jesus with them. Because there was no turmoil in her spirit because she knew who my dad served. She knew who our provision was. And I thought, now there is a peace that passes all understanding, that renews heart and renews mind. This is what makes us different. I want all of us at this moment to stop and, and ask ourselves, is your soul at rest today? Because the truth is, it can be. Seek the Prince of Peace. Put your faith in the Prince of Peace. And you will find peace there because we know Jesus Christ. And we know that He is in control. True peace comes not because of an absence of conflict, but because of the presence of Christ's Spirit in our lives. We should be a peculiar people. In Christ, we should be different. And so the challenge this morning is, is there really a difference? What is the difference that you see in your own life? What is the difference that others see in your life? Do you live daily in the grace of Christ 
multiplied to you? Or are you living in condemnation and the knowledge of, of your unrighteousness? Do you live daily in the peace of Christ? Or is your heart and your mind just as troubled as everyone around you? There is a peace and a rest and a grace to be found today.